Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that this finds you and yours doing well. And I want to thank you for joining me. I'm joined today again by my friend and pastor, Jim Osman. Jim is the author of now three books, Truth or Territory, A Biblical Approach to Spiritual Warfare, Selling the Stairway to Heaven. I don't remember the subtitle of that, but what's the subtitle? Critiquing the Claims of Heaven Tourists. Critiquing the Claims of Heaven Tourists, People Who Claim to Have Been to Heaven, a very popular uh, genre of quote-unquote Christian literature now in movies. and uh, But today in this series we're talking about his latest book entitled The Prosperity of the Wicked. And Prosperity of the Wicked is, is an exposition of Psalm 73. So Jim, in our last program we kind of introduced how it was that you became interested in this psalm, mm-hmm. what what Psalm 73 talks about. Give us just a brief overview in case we have someone listening for the first time. Yeah, Psalm 73 is Asaph's, an account of Asaph, a godly man's struggle over observing the prosperity of the wicked. He observed the wicked prospering each and every day and thought this was the evidence of God's blessing and then wondered how is it or why is it that God blesses the wicked uh, with all of this prosperity. And he's, he almost stumbled uh, into apostasy over this because this was a real stumbling block. And until he came to understand God's perspective on it, which he details at the second half of the psalm, and then he came to understand what true the true goodness of God is, that it's not material prosperity. It is, rather, the spiritual blessings, the, uh, the blessings that God gives to his people who are uniquely his by faith in uh, him. Yeah, okay. And he, so he saw the prosperity of the wicked, and, and the wicked prospering, which, of course, we talk about how we see that today, whether it's people in politics or the entertainment industry, Hollywood, or the prosperity preachers, you know, Benny Hinn and, and Joel Osteen and Kenneth Copeland and all these others. And um, so where we left off yesterday, Jim, we introduced the term common grace. Some have said that Psalm 73 essentially denies common grace. But before we talk about that, tell us what is meant by the term common grace. Common grace is the theological term that we use to describe the good things that are enjoyed by impenitent sinners as well as saints. So the impenitent sinner can sit down and enjoy a good steak. He can he enjoys a sunset. He gets to go to the beach on a hot day and enjoy a nice swim. He did, enjoys the delights of family and friendship and laughter and and um, water that quenches his thirst. The, he, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. These are things that, that God allows his creatures to enjoy. These are graces. They are undeserved pleasures and joys that are enjoyed by not just saints, but also the impenitent wicked. We would say by the elect and the non-elect alike, by the saints and sinners alike. Right. Yeah. Um, so some, some people deny that there is any such thing as common grace. They would say that God doesn't give any good thing to a wicked individual. That, in fact, God's intention by giving any good thing, anything that we would consider good, um, God's intention of giving that to a wicked person would be their ultimately their judgment or their destruction, and not just to show them grace or kindness. So that if, if an unbeliever and I are sitting down across a, a table and each of us are eating the the exact same 
perfectly grilled steak sirloin with a mashed potato and a salad. He's enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. We're both tasting it. The person who denies common grace would say that steak for that unbeliever is not God's grace at all. It's an act of God's judgment. God is hardening his heart through that. God is God is seeking to destroy that individual through that gift. Whereas for me, it is God's grace to me. Mm-hmm. So those who deny common grace say that if if God has secured graces in the person of Christ and somebody does not have Christ, God does not give them any grace. Right. Okay. All right. Asaph opens this psalm by saying, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But then he says, But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So why did Asaph come close to stumbling? What brought him, as you said in yesterday's program, what brought him to the precipice of apostasy he he saw he saw the what the wicked enjoyed and he describes that in verses 4 through uh, verse 14 uh, he saw what the wicked enjoyed and assumed that this was god blessing the wicked he could not understand how god could be disposed to bless the wicked with that prosperity and and how this ties in with the issue of common grace which we were just talking about a second ago is um what asaph what asaph needed to come to realize is that in the case of the wicked, their prosperity was not a blessing to them. Um, but because Asaph is, den- because it, just because we deny that the, that the wealth that Benny Hinn enjoys is God's blessing him because Benny Hinn is a saint or God's blessing him because he approves of it, just because we deny that doesn't mean that we also deny that Benny Hinn doesn't enjoy any good thing, that God has not been gracious to him in some way. The fact that Benny Hinn even breathes another breath today, or that his heart doesn't skip a beat, these are grace, this is the undeserved, this is the undeserved grace of God. But we would have to make a distinction between salvific grace and common grace. And and this, I think, is where some people stumble over the issue of common grace. They say, that God can't give any grace to an unbeliever. There can be no gracious intent behind God to an unbeliever because God has nothing but hatred for that individual or nothing but wrath for that individual. And so he cannot be in any way give any kind of a grace or kindness to that individual. But I believe that God is able to show grace or kindness to people who are even under his wrath. Yeah. So not, now this is going to sound a little bit heretical at first, but not all grace, not all grace of God, all of its manifestations, all of its um, demonstrations is necessarily salvific in its nature, right? There, There is a, a grace, the common grace that you said that is that God gives to even unbelievers, but it's temporal. So not all grace, when we normally when we talk about grace, we think of matters of salvation and conversion but not that's not necessarily always the case no god god can be god can show grace to pharaoh in not wiping out pharaoh's entire family and just killing his firstborn but that's not a salvific grace right when we talk about the grace of salvation we're talking about god supernaturally and effectively drawing his people to themselves um, choosing them before the foundation of the world, setting his love and affection upon them, sending his son to rescue them, to pay the price for their sin, and then the, through the work of the Holy Spirit, drawing that person to the son, re- granting them repentance, giving them the faith to believe, regenerating their hearts so that they are now acting and walking in obedience and able to do good things. Those are, those are graces of salvation that accomplish the redemption of God's people. 
but his grace to it is also his grace to me that I can sit down and enjoy a good steak. Yeah. And it is also a grace, an undeserved favor, if you will, or an undeserved pleasure or goodness that God shows to an unbeliever that the unbeliever is able to enjoy that same steak. Yeah. Um, that is something that is common to the elect and the unelect. And I believe that in the death of Christ and in, in, in Christ, that Christ purchased all of God's grace that God has ever shown toward any human being. But that doesn't mean that, that just because we say that God shows a grace to an unbeliever who is an unregenerate and impenitent or the non-elect, that just because God shows that person grace means that he that must therefore be showing him all the salvation graces as well yeah. and effectually drawing that person to God. We, we would not affirm that. Right. Okay. I like one of the, one of the points you make in your book, Jim, that I really appreciate it is you, you talk about how Asaph said that he said, my steps almost slipped. My feet came close to stumbling. My steps almost slipped. Uh, as you said, he was on the, the brink overlooking into the abyss of apostasy. He was right on the edge, but God saved him or God preserved him. Right. I, I see there the preserving work of God. He didn't actually slip. He didn't actually fall or trip over this thing into apostasy, right. into denying his faith because God gave him that vantage point, that perspective from the sanctuary that allowed him to see God's goodness to him and God's goodness to his people. And that preserved Asaph from finally stumbling and falling over this, over the perplexity yeah. that he experienced. And and there's something for us to be, as New Testament believers, uh, we can take comfort in this. Uh, we can read Psalm 73, and I think there's comfort to be had in that. Um, I mean, many are the people, probably some listening to us right now, who have been brought to that same precipice. Maybe not over the same issue, maybe, yeah. maybe not but nonetheless brought to the same precipice of apostasy, of, of doubting, is is God really uh, who he says he is? Is he, is he really good? And whatever brings him to that point. Uh, it Just because you come to a place of doubt does not necessarily mean you're not one of God's. Right. So. Yeah, the evidence that you do not belong to God is that you leave him. Right. You walk away from him. You completely apostatize and walk away from the truth. And they went out from us because they, they were, were not, not of us. us. Right. right. And if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it might be made manifest that they were not of us. Um, so it is it just it is possible for God's people to to stumble, to trip, to doubt, to wrestle, to, to be vexed by something, to go through dark seasons, dark nights of the soul. All of that is possible. But to actually just plunge off into affirming that God blesses the wicked and as Asaph says in Psalm 73, uh, he reaches a point where he says, um, after describing the wicked in verse 13, he says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. I've been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. And, and he had reached, he had almost got to that point and said, well, if, this is, if the wicked get this, if, if Bill Gates gets this, and the faithful pastor gets this, then why, why do I pursue godliness? Why do I pursue holiness without which... No one will see the Lord. What's the point? What is the point? I've washed my hands in vain, right? I'm I'm vexed in my conscience. I confess my sin. I pursue holiness. I say no to myself. I deny myself. I mortify my sin and all for naught because it. And I don't get any of the blessings for it and Bill Gates gets everything. Yeah. And here, here's this impenitent, wicked individual who lives like a king and I'm I'm chastened all day long. What do I live with? I live with my guilt, my chastening, the discipline of the Lord, trying to mortify my sin 
going to bed every night trying to get my conscience cleansed, you know, vexed over the fact that I haven't served the Lord faithfully enough and strongly enough, and it's all for nothing. And yeah. and he had almost said that. And then he says in the very next verse, if I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. And this was troublesome in his sight. So Asaph, this was the stuff that Asaph was starting to ponder, starting to think to himself, I have lived a holy life in vain because God's blessing rests upon those who are unholy and upon those who make no profession of faith in him. And yet a, a, a true believer can wrestle with these issues without ever really finally stumbling and falling. And, and I believe, of course, because I, I believe in the perseverance of the saints or the perseverance of the Savior, that God is the one who actually keeps back his people from the brink of destruction. And though he might allow us to wrestle through these issues, he, doesn't, he will not allow us to finally fall or to fail. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a, that's a very salient point, and it's great, greatly comforting to us to know that, you know, I, I tell people salvation is not perfection. It's direction. Mm-hmm. Which direction is your life going? But even, I mean, one of the things that sets the Bible apart from every other work of ancient literature, one of the many things, is that it never hesitates to record the failures of its of its own characters. Yeah. And some people have doubted, oh, I don't think the Exodus really happened because there's nothing in the Egyptian records about Pharaoh's army being drowned. Well, of course there wasn't. They didn't record their defeats. Yeah. So, you know, you would expect that. But the Bible's different. It does record the failures. It does record the defeats, uh, to use that term, of, of its characters. And even um, John the Baptist, right, when he was in prison shortly before his head was about to be separated from his shoulders, he, are you the Messiah? Yeah, or should we look for someone else? Or should we be looking for someone else? And this is a guy who baptized Christ. So even he had his... Asaph moment, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, Asaph talks about envy. Talk to us a little bit, Jim, about envy. He says, I was envious of the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. What? Why is envy such a, a, a soul-killing sin? Envy why is, is soul, such a danger? Yeah, envy is soul-killing because envy... Envy makes it, when we envy what other people have, we are not able, not able to enjoy the things that we do have. You know, envy takes us takes our eyes off of the blessings that we currently enjoy and puts them on what we perceive to be the blessings that other people enjoy. At least that's our perspective on it. And then we begin to long for and want that. And then by comparison, our blessings look really small. So the, the other night we had uh, some friends over uh, a couple Sunday nights ago and they... Uh, uh, my wife served up some dessert. Well, she gave the the other guy in the room and the the other couple. Uh, she gave him another a piece bigger than mine. It was a bigger <laughs> piece of dessert than mine. And so I'm, I looked at his dessert and I looked at my dessert and I wanted his dessert. And I thought, why? I mean, I'm your husband. You should give me the bigger piece rather right. than him. I wanted his piece of dessert, and I wasn't even I wasn't even thinking about the the grace of God that was. It, it, given to me just to enjoy that piece of dessert. Yeah. This wonderful piece of dessert that my wife made. It's awesome. Right? right, and rather than just diving in and enjoying that, and it's a three by three inch square piece of of glorious cream cheese filled lusciousness, <laughs> I couldn't enjoy that because all I could think of is he had his was three and a half by three and a half, mine was only three by three. Right, so it took my my focus off of off of what I enjoy or could be enjoying, and made me want what somebody else has, and then I'm able to enjoy neither. I can't enjoy what he has, and I can't truly enjoy what I have, and right. then and then the the crux of the whole thing is that when you would are envious of the wicked that is the worst of the worst because now you are envious of people 
who really are under God's judgment and right. under his wrath. And to, to who is the fool that envies the wicked man? Yeah. Every once in a while, I'll get an, an angry email from someone saying that they'll accuse me of being just jealous. Oh, you're just jealous of these. You, you, you criticize all these millionaire, multimillionaire preachers and you're, because you're just jealous of them. You're jealous of what Benny Hinn's got. You're jealous of his private jet and Kenneth Copeland and all. And, and uh, no, no, nothing could be further from the truth because, as we'll talk about, uh, these people are actually under God's judgment. God's judgment is not sleeping, right? Yeah. I mean, it, his, his judgment, his, his justice will be satisfied. Uh, but this is what Asaph almost stumbled over. Almost. Um, Asaph says something interesting here, Jim, in his Psalm seven in his uh, writing here, Psalm seventy three, he says he says, There are no he's talking about the wicked, there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. It's kind of an interesting thing he would say that now we can look at the at the wealthy of the world, as we said, politics, entertainment, prosperity preachers. We can look at their wealth, and yeah, they they don't they don't uh, have to worry about how they're going to fill their car up with gas or where their next meal is coming from. So in that sense, they don't they don't have the same uh, struggles that that many other people do. But he even says there's no pains in their death. So. The wicked just die painless deaths. Is that always yeah, true? Well, some, it's not always true, but it's how Asaph saw it. Uh, sometimes we, when we look at the, in fact, I would say all the times we look at the wicked, we see things that we think are always true of them, but aren't. And there being no pains in their death. I mean, you can imagine Asaph watching somebody who, like an Adolf Hitler, who dies in the arms of his mistress, or a, a, a wicked individual who dies, like a Hugh Hefner type individual who dies surrounded by his Playboy bunnies. And he dies just peacefully in his sleep, drifting off after living his life in luxury and fatness. And and then you look at righteous saints. You see righteous saints who who struggle against cancer for, for years. I was just, even on Sunday, I mentioned how Martin Lloyd-Jones died from cancer. And it was a slow, painful, agonizing death for him to go through that. And it took a long period of time where he fought against it and had operations and procedures. And why is it that Hitler gets to die in the arms of his mistress and, and Lloyd-Jones gets to suffer like that? Yeah, you know, and sometimes we look at the we can look at the wicked and think, and they just they they live easy and they die easy, yeah. and yet, but yet there are obviously exceptions to that, and and you can't and painting with a broad stroke is one of the things that we do when we're envious of the wicked. We start to paint with these broad strokes. We say all the wicked always live in all this luxury and then always die easy. Well, there are wicked people like Steve Jobs who pined away with from cancer before he died, and some of the final pictures that were taken of him publicly. He was nothing but a, ba- a bag of stick and sticks and skin. I yeah. mean, he he it, it just ate away at his substance. He he didn't die in peaceful and peace and ease. You can point to wicked people who die peaceful and easy. Yeah, you can, which is what Asaph saw, saw. But you can also point to righteous people who died peacefully and easy. Right. I know righteous people who just passed away, had a stroke and passed away in an instant in their sleep. Yeah. Or died from a heart attack in their sleep. They just they're gone, or they're taken quickly in a car accident. Yeah. And yet there are wicked people who are who suffer immensely. Uh, before they die as well. But when you, when when you're envious of somebody, you always you you have you see everything through envy glasses. So you always all you see is the things that confirm your bias, right? You don't suddenly you don't see yeah. any wicked people dying painfully. All you see is the wicked people dying easily. And you right. think, well, why would I want to be righteous? 
right? Especially if you just attended a funeral of a righteous individual who, who died slowly and in great pain, you know, and then you did their funeral and you went to their funeral and then you think, but man, this, this other individual who's wicked lived so well and died so easily. Yeah. Right. You make an interesting statement in your book. I've got you quoted here. You say the mouth is like a pressure release valve for the heart. Uh, what, what does that mean? Well, my hot water tank has a little pressure relief. All hot water tanks do. The pressure builds up in there. Uh, it'll click on and, and spew out steam or relieve some of the pressure. The mouth is a pressure relief valve of the heart. In other words, when you put the heart under pressure, the, what, come, what is in the heart comes out of the mouth. It's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. So you put somebody under the pressure of adversity or suffering or affliction or difficulties, trials, temptations, and tribulations. You put them under that pressure and what come out of the their mouth will spew out whatever is in their heart. Yeah. If it's fornications or adulteries or, or anxiety or anger, or bitterness or wrath, uh, those things will come out in the things that we say. So what Asaph was giving voice to was just reflecting what was in his heart, the, the inward struggle that he gave voice to. Yeah, and I think when I mentioned that in the book, what I was talking about is how the wicked, how Asaph describes the wicked speak. Uh, the imaginations of their heart run riot, they mock and wickedly speak of oppression, verse 8. They speak oh, from them yeah. high. They have okay. set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. These wicked people are characterized by wicked speech because that is what is in their heart. Right. That's what I was describing. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. Pride is pride is their necklace. The the wicked The wicked are not are not exactly known for their humility. Yeah, right, right exactly. Uh, pride is a pride is one of the hallmarks of a of a of a wicked person who does not know the Lord. Uh, now verse 11 Asaph said or well, verse 10 therefore his people run to this place and waters of abundance are drunk by them and that's you deal with that quite extensively and that's kind of an interesting it's a difficult verse to um exegete and, and get to the meaning of there's different interpretations but verse 11 it says they say how does god know and is their knowledge with the most high and it's almost like does god know what's going on yeah you would you would start to wonder that right you look at who what righteous person hasn't looked at benny hinn and and for at least a moment said man do i need to inform the lord of what benny hinn is really doing here right i mean because benny hinn has millions and look what he's doing Right, and and the, and the wicked can start to almost think this themselves as well. If God knows of my wickedness, He doesn't care, and it doesn't seem as if He does know because here I get all of this stuff, and there's certainly no judgment or affliction that comes to me for my wicked conduct. So, does God even have knowledge of what I do? And if He does know, does He even care right. about what I do? Yeah, because I get away with it. Yeah, the wicked sure. could say that I get away with it. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure. Benny Hinn and, and the others uh, of, of his ilk think that. Of course, Benny Hinn's in a little bit of trouble with the IRS right now, but uh, but these other prosperity preachers, they've been doing it for years and years, decades, of massed tens and tens of millions of dollars, and so they think either either I'm getting away with it or or this really is the right thing. God this really is the is blessing. blessing. Yeah, this is the blessing of God. It's, yeah. seen, it's seen by them to be proof that what they're saying and doing is, is righteous and good. Yeah. I get asked all the time in my teaching, uh, Justin, do you, why doesn't God put an end to this? I get asked that question. Why doesn't he do something about these false teachers? People see my seminar, they're clearly troubled by it. Why doesn't God do something? About Is there it? knowledge with the Most High? Is there knowledge with the Most High? It's like, does he, not real, does he not know what's going on? Of course, he does. But these false teachers are, in and of themselves, part of God's judgment. Yeah. 
they they are his instruments of judgment, just like Assyria was God's was God's uh, rod of wrath against Israel. Uh, these false teachers are part of God's judgment against those people who hate the God of the Bible. They they fashion a God after their own heart. Okay, well, dear ones, we are running out of time. And uh, Jim, where can people get your book? Uh, Amazon.com. They can get the Kindle or the print book on Amazon.com. You can get all my books there, and all the proceeds go to the Kootenai Community Church Building Fund to help us get into our new facility. Okay. All right, dear ones, until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or interested in more teaching resources, or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference, you may contact him at justinpeters.org.